0: Hello and welcome to Fairy Unfiltered. Uh, I have an amazing and special guest, that special, that I am going to let him introduce himself.
1: <laughs> on you go mate. Hi, Hi how you doing? Uh, my name is Andrew Kearney. I am honoured to be on this podcast with Chris. Uh, I am a former Scotland Strongest Man, seven times world. Eight times European champion, and I am known as, on social media, as Andy the Outcast because I run a gymnasium called Outcast Barbell Sanctuary, the gym for the commercially unwanted.
0: (laughs) I love it, man. Did you always have this nickname, The Outcast? Or was that something that came along with the gym? No, it was. My my,
1: my original username on um, social media was Andy Chunky Monkey. I used to call myself the Chunky Monkey, and uh, I changed it to the Outcast when the gym opened. I just felt if I'm calling the gym the Outcast Barbell Sanctuary, well, I had to be the original Outcast. So I, I changed it to Andy the Outcast, uh, and uh, I, I've been known that way. So like People meet me and they'll go, hi, nice to meet you, you're Andrew Kearnitz, you're Andy the Outcast. So. So it's it's uh, stuck with me, and
0: uh, I love it, man. I love the branding. I love your branding. See, like the, the electric green and the black. It's your whole your cat and everything. Like that. It's really, right. really nice, yeah. man. I really like that. Oh, there we go. Right, so um, we are going to dive in a wee bit differently from some of the podcasts you've been on, and going to dive in a more specific and very very interesting story um, about your trip to Ohio.
1: Yeah. Uh, I, I, this in March it was the anniversary, the ten year anniversary of my uh, very serious injury, which resulted in me being in a wheelchair for almost a year. Uh, and a lot of people have asked me that I've, I've, I've mentioned it, showed pictures and stuff, and I've, I've we've talked about. I like to use the term from wheelchair to world champion, but a lot of people would like to hear a lot more detail and specific. Kinda of, uh, things that I done from that very um, horrible instant to being a, a, essentially a seven times world champion. Uh, so to get to get the instant uh, to get this, the story started, instant um, the, the story started. <laughs> uh, I need to take you back to 2009, right? 2009. Right? We're doing a we're doing a, a montage back to uh, some some history. Now I'll take you back to 2009. And uh, I was um, competing at UK's Strongest Man in Belfast. 2009, mm-hmm. August, I was competing at UK's Strongest Man in Belfast. And uh, I was, at the time, one of the top guys in Scotland, maybe top two in Scotland. I would win a, win a Strongest Man title, I'd come second. And I was I was teetering on the brink of top ten in Britain. There was some really good strong men at the time, Terry Holland, Jimmy Mark, Lorne Shahley, all these amazing guys. And I was just on the periphery of making it into like the top ten. Now, at this point in my life, I was still doing door work. I was doing the doors four, five nights a week. And I had just opened my first shop, which was in part. it was called Better Bodies Glasgow. It was a small shop selling sports nutrition products and supplements to go along with. I remember that. Yeah. So so that was my that was my my first kind of non-door-based kind of venture into inc- and a new form of income, a new revenue stream. So at this point, I was about 22, maybe 23 stone. I was bigger than what I was and I was not in good, in good shape. But nonetheless, I was still in pretty good nick for a strongman at the time. And uh, I was obsessed with my strongman career. I was obsessed with it. nothing else mattered in my life, not my relationship, not my business, not my door work, nothing, I was just totally obsessed with strongman and getting to the stage where I wanted to get to. Now in 2009, I went to UK's Strongest Man in August and uh, I got a really bad injury. Uh, okay. I, told, I detached my calf clean off the bone, my Ooh. calf came straight off the bone, there was no tear, no rupture, oh. it was just basically the, the, the calf split uh, right off, and I was lucky, I my Kelly's uh, tendon was hanging by a thread. Oh, so it was a strange event, it was a truck pull event, but we weren't pulling a truck, we were pulling a, a motionless chain, and I had been getting really bad cramps, uh, I'd been getting really, really bad cramps through the competition, and 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 I'll probably delve into some of the sides that you won't see on the TV. But I would taken drugs, and uh, mm. an enhancing drug that I shouldn't have taken, basically on the in the, the initial day of the competition. Some of the guys that were my peers uh, at the time, I, I won't I won't name them, but the uh-huh. kind of top guys, basically were taking this uh, anabolic steroid type product called Halo Testing, which makes you ridiculously aggressive and focused. Now oh, right. I had never I'd never took it took that particular product before, but it was almost like peer pressure. They were like, "Oh, you want some?" They were good friends, and and they were trying to get me to do something probably to benefit me, you know. Yeah. I took a really bad reaction to this halo testing, and I got really really bad cramps. And in the first day, I was struggling to cope with the cramps, and I tore my calf a little bit. And then on day two, when I was just about to make the final, I, I ripped the calf clean off the bone, and that was the end of my tournament. Now, at the time, I, I didn't have access to uh, any kind of high-level physiotherapy. The guy that was looking after me was a gentleman called Ronnie Simpson, for, He trained in the same gym as me. And God bless Ronnie, he's a great guy. But Ronnie's a kind of fixer-upper kind of guy, get you fixed, get you back in the gym. So uh, I did not I, I just assumed my calf was torn, but it was black from ankle to knee. My calf was torn and uh, I I was still trying to train around it, I was still working the doors, I could barely walk upstairs and uh, I was in agony. So I went to the World Championships in uh, in, uh, in 2009, November 2009, I went to the the, the WPF World Championships in Las Vegas. At this Mm -hmm. stage I started delving into powerlifting. I was full time strongman and this would be my first international competition uh, in powerlifting and we'd done a pit stop in New York and for whatever reason the the, the the apartment that I stayed on was directly above a physiotherapist so I thought this must be fate so I brassed it mm-hmm. walked into the physiotherapist and I was like I, I just gave them some bullshit spiel I'm the most manipulative <laughs> bullshit man. brass neck i <laughs> ever made. I, I walked into university and said that I had got a, a an, an acceptance letter into my university and I lied and I got into uni with no qualification. So, uh, <laughs> And uh, I suppose honest truth, I've got an honours degree uh, with, with, with no hires. And uh, anyway, so so I went in this physiotherapist, they looked at it and uh, they're like, you've detached your calf clean off the bone, it's fucked. Uh, and they taped me up a bit to go to the world. So I went to the World's, I performed quite well and I got a silver medal at the World Championships. That
0: but, is so impressive. That that was tore off the bone and you still yeah, get a silver? That's yeah, silver funny. medal. Silver medal in my
1: debut, I was quite chuffed and, and so on. So then we need to fast forward to March, and this is what happened. Now, from November to March, I was getting ready for the biggest competition of my life, the Arnold Classic, the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic in Columbus, Ohio. Arnold Schwarzenegger, for people that don't know, has, has his own expo, which has more actual competitors than the Olympics. Now, it's a humongous exhibition of all sports, from fencing to bodybuilding, to
0: Strongman uh, you well, name it's it un- unbelievable I-, I love following it like it's it's so like, like you say that like, just to people that actually go to this even bodybuilders like Kai Greene everyone let all go at that it's like yeah it's, 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 to win the
1: Arnold Classic it's and bodybuilding excuse me is probably the second biggest tournament mm-hmm. in the world and to win the Arnold Classic in Strongman is maybe arguably the biggest uh, mm-hmm. so I mean it's a, it's a, it's a huge company immense prestige and I, I was going to be the first Scotsman to ever compete at it. Uh, so from November to March, I, I just basically blanked out the pain of the calf and trained for it, even though my calf no longer worked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, I was, and, and then, So I trained as best I could and, and I was like, I can't not miss the Arnold's, this is the biggest comp of my life, this would get me to the next stage, the next level of strongman. So I trained for it, uh, I was very, I was skint at the time, because I, I wasn't really, I was doing just enough in the doors to pay my bills, and 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 although I'd opened the shop, I had a shit attitude with the shop, I didn't, I, I was treating it like a job, I wasn't putting any effort, and I was just getting in, showing up, doing the bare minimum, fucking off, because I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't pass anything, bar my strong man. I was just obsessed by it. So I got to the Arnold Classic with my friend, Ken Ravitsky. Ken, Ken, uh, Ken and I were training partners, and Ken, had managed to get an invite to compete as well on the back of me and him, we kind of nice. brashed it in and so that the twos could go and Ken, and then Ken, Ken competed as well. Uh, so we went there and, and I met the commentator outside the venue the night before we were supposed to compete and he was like, hi, how are you doing, nice to meet you, can I ask how you pronounce your name, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Andy Kearney, he's like, right, okay, thank you so much. And, and he says, I, I noticed you're limping really bad, you get an injury. And I was like, yeah, I've detached my calf. Uh, and he's like, "All right, fuck you know, be careful tomorrow." So the following day, we got up and it was a really early start to compete. So the basically, I was doing a log press. It was a okay. hundred and forty, fifty—I don't know kilo. I can't remember. It was a really heavy log press for reps, heaviest I'd ever done. Obviously, due to the, the high stature, that comp the weight, so the heavier they go, the bigger they comp. Mm-hmm. So I was doing this uh, log press for reps, and I had cleaned the log and tried to press it above my head. Uh, and every time I was trying to use leg drive, I wasn't, I, I think I pressed it a couple of times, but I was struggling. And then on the third or fourth attempt, I cleaned the log and I went to press it above, directly above my head. And I just heard this horrendous uh, shotgun noise, uh, and Ooh. just boom, in both my knees, just blow, blew, clean off the, the bone. The patella tendon, which is the tendon that attaches the kneecap to the shin, Both my patella tendons ripped clean off, just clean off the bone. Oh my God. So the log landed on top of me uh, and I was lying on the floor. I was lying on the floor and I couldn't feel my legs anymore. So I panicked and I knew I heard my knees. So I was trying to find my knees and I couldn't find them. And what had happened is because the quadricep tendons attached the the, the muscles of the front of the legs, for people I'm not familiar with, the quadricep tendons, because the, 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 the force that I applied through them ripping ripping the kneecap off they'd actually pulled the kneecap up so my kneecaps were almost at my my jean pockets uh so that so oh. that the bunched up. so i was so i was on the floor and a lot of people say to me did it hurt and it, it didn't actually hurt uh I, I just went into complete shock and trauma uh and and then I, I, the next thing i remember there was a few people around me looking after me and then they got me on a stretcher uh, so and it was really uncomfortable because the minute they lifted me up the minute my legs bent, obviously I was in mortal agony so there was like six guys trying to lift me but making sure that my, my legs didn't bend. So uh, so I got to I got to the Grant Medical Center which was just around the corner from Columbus Ohio uh, in Columbus Ohio just around the corner from the, from the venue mm-hmm. and uh, I was lying there. I had no one with me. Ken had continued on with the competition uh, Ken. Ken continued to lift, and to be fair, a lot of people, like, I can't believe he just didn't walk away and come and support you and look after you, he was his best friend, but I kind of got it. Like, it was like, it was his dream comp as well, and I was Uh like, there's nothing, as as selfless as it sounds, I was like, there was nothing he he could have done that was going to change the variables of my situation rather than perhaps hold my hand and tell me it's going to be okay, but I felt at 22 and a half stone and 30 years of age that I didn't need that. (laughs) So... (laughs) So, uh, so yes, yeah, so I went to the, the Grand Medical Center and, and I, I was just in blind panic because I, I was like, right, first of all, how the fuck am I going to pay for this? Mm-hmm. Second of all, how the fuck am I going to get home? Right. Third of all, am I ever going to walk again? Am I ever going to walk again? So I was lying there. I'd went from, you know, one of the strongest men in the country a, a dorming in Glasgow City Centre that was fearless and felt like you could walk through walls. And I was lying on a bed, basically saying, I might never walk again. So the whole fear and inevitability of it was just horrendous. Uh, and then they started pumping me full of morphine, uh, which I didn't want them to do. Because I didn't feel like the pain was was excruciating. But they were just like, no, you need it. You need the morphine. So they started pumping me full of morphine. It wasn't actually morphine. It was a thing called Dilottin which I've later mm-hmm. found out is even stronger than morphine it's like nice. uh, So yeah, so I, I ended up, uh, I, w- I went in for an MRI scan and I was out my fucking tree and uh, and, and I, I, even at this point I was like in denial, I was like maybe it's just dislocated or Aye. not as bad as it is you know, I'm sure maybe they can just pop them back in but so I went in for an MRI scan and then they, they took me into my hospital bed and they said, listen, you've detached both your legs. We're, we're going to operate tomorrow morning on you. And they said, look, what's happened? is the most horrendous thing, you know, in the world. But if it was going to happen, it's happened in the best place because we've got the number one knee surgeon in America and he works on $100 million NFL players. So Sweet. so kind of really bad. But if you're going to have it bad, this is the mm-hmm. place. I was like, very good. I was petrified about just getting under the knife the next day and uh, I woke up, I didn't really sleep to be fair, I couldn't eat, I was just stressed and full of morphine, I was just kind of semi submerged and just fucking... Fear in. It was a horrible position. And uh, I remember them putting me on the slab and putting me under. And then uh, a funny story, I woke up in my bedroom after the operation and I had a bucket and uh, and I says to the woman, where's the bucket come from? And she laughed and she went, when they woke you up after the the operation, uh, you, you kept saying panically that you were gonna be sick, you were gonna be sick, you were gonna be sick. So they gave you a sick bucket and then you wouldn't let go of the sick bucket and everybody <laughs> tried to take it off, and you tried to fight them. And you were saying it was my fucking bucket. Uh, <laughs> And then they said you became transfixed with one of the nurses' jumpers, this old nurse, and you said you were saying how beautiful a jumper was. <laughs> it just comes with my dreams. So, so, so I was in, I was in the hospital, and I woke up after the, the surgery in absolute agony. They took, they took, ripped both my ne- my legs open, 88 staples in each leg. So they don't, they cut from my kneecap about six inches up and my kneecap about six inches down. So I'd a horrendous, because they had to like, rip it getting into horrible detail, they had to kind of cut it open and then rip my legs either side so they could get in and detach. Right,
0: everything me. at the front, so is your scars running right up your quad? Um, yeah, like... yeah, 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 so, so I woke up and then
1: the the doctor, the surgeon came in and he's like, eh, when did you detach your PCL tendon? I was like, I don't know what my PCL tendon is, let alone that, he says yeah, he detached it, it's, it's detached It's some time ago. Uh, it's severed and severed off the bone and doesn't exist," he said. "So when I done the surgery, he says you've got no PCL tendon in your left knee. That snapped off at some point. Obviously, I've not known it; just came off in or something." He says, "You've right calf's great calves, totally detached," and he says, "You've got horrendous arthritis in your knees." And I was only thirty at the time, and I was like, well, that's the first time I ever felt old." You know that first time you get grey hair? I was like, "Aye." Yeah, your, your knees are fucked. So the, then he says to me. He said, listen, Mr. Kearney, I should tell you this right now. There's no guarantee that uh, you're going to walk again. He says, uh, he says, but I want to tell you this right now. This the, the operation was a success. I'm really pleased with it. He says, but your lifting days are over. He says, please, in the interest of getting your head around the concept, start accepting that you will no longer lift. And, uh, uh, and, That's and, a lot and,
0: of blows to take in just one sitting, like not being yeah. able to walk, no more lifting.
1: <laughs> It was a shake of bad days, <laughs> and, uh, and then and then my, my best mate Ken came in. he's like, "Oh, I just met Arnold Schwarzenegger and fucking blah blah blah." I was like, "Fuck you!" <laughs> <laughs> That's what kick in the balls. And, I, was like, ah, I was like, "Cheers, you fucking dick." And I was like, "Fuck man." I'm sitting here contemplating never walking again. You're like, "I met Arnold," well, oh. and I was like, "Okay," I was like, "Fine." So so I had to make I had to make it back to. Uh, I, I, Scotland had to get back and our flights had been booked for like two or three days after the operation and they were like oh no you need to stay here for like six weeks you need to stay here for this and, you need to, and I was like no I need to get home because I couldn't afford yeah. the, the medical bills it was like literally they were charging you per aspirin they were charging you like an insane amount of money and I was like I can't stay here for six weeks it would be cheaper for me to stay in the fucking Ritz-Carlton Mm -hmm. and uh, plus I'd be missing, I was self-employed and I I just wanted to get home and see my family, my mother and everything else so they said you're not leaving in two or three days time unless you prove that you can stand up and walk and a zimmer because they said they would not allow me to leave unless I could stand up so I spent the next two or three days just recovering and and healing and uh, I was just just skin in and out of consciousness with the painkillers and the morphine and everything and I remember it was a weird story. I, 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 uh, a phone rang in my room. This is a weird story. So, phone rang oh, in my room. I was, was kind of a bit out of it, right? I was a bit stoned out in morphine, right? So, I, I could hear a phone ring, but I couldn't see a phone. So, for whatever reason, the fact I was out my tree, I was like, "That's God of me, I'm dying, right? So, <laughs> and uh, and then the nurse came in, she's like, answer your phone, sweetie. And I was like, where the fuck's my phone? And it's and she's like, it's attached to the bed. And I was like, okay. So I grabbed the phone, but I was in this weird, semi-conscious, semi-stoned, semi-stressed, out my box kind of morphine thing. And I was scared to answer the phone. Right? So I, I, was, <laughs> I was like, hello. And as I answered the phone, it was my mother, and my mother just went into full swing, and I was like, like, How are you doing, son? You're right. And I was like, I know bad. <laughs> and I was like, How the fuck did you get this number? And she was like, I phoned every hospital in uh, Columbus, Ohio, and like just everywhere. My mom had been phoning for days trying to find her son, find uh, what ward I was in. My mom phoned me and she was like so nonchalant about it, you're all right, son, and all that. How's your legs? I was like, Okay. So I, I, I managed to um, I, I managed to convince them that they let me uh leave in a couple of days, but I couldn't fly from Columbus, Ohio because the planes were too small. The Columbus, Ohio planes connected. With, uh, into New York and a New York airport and there were only like me 10, a puddle jumper, two seats each side Now okay. I would have needed three seats to across mm-hmm. so they said you're going to have to transfer your flight to Cleveland so Cleveland was a four hour drive away and the only way I could get to Cleveland was they managed to find some random guy that had like a 20 year old Ford Mondale that looked like it was like pro-Trump you know he was like fucking trucker hat and uh, lumberjack shirt and stuff nice. I don't know what it did But he looked looked a bit, he was, he was, um, urban. (laughs) Very
0: diplomatic though. (laughs) I
1: I don't know, I can't remember how this, but we convinced him to drive me to Cleveland for so many, we had only so many hundred dollars left in our spending money. So I spent the next four, well I had to first of all get out of the hospital, and I got out of the hospital, uh, I was in mortal agony and I was standing up and I was shaking and Piss myself and all that. was, But I was like, I've got to go home, I've got to go home. So I was standing on a Zimmer, using every single ounce of power I could to try and look like I could, I was able to maneuver and I was able to to, to use the Zimmer to walk, but I was in absolute agony. And I was like, just just wing it. Please, please let me, let me, like, let me go. Mm-hmm. So I managed to get out. I spent the next four hours driving to Cleveland in the back of this Ford Mondale. It was filthy and the guy chain smoked and I was going to be sick. Like he's like, do you mind if I smoke? And he was like, I was like, Ugh. And, I, oh. and then they gave me a prescription for painkillers to help get me home. So we managed to make it to Cleveland Airport and then I got the connecting flight to New York. And when I got to New York, uh, my connection was really, really close and I had like 15 minutes to go on the plane. And I says to Ken, Ken, I can't, I can't do it, buddy. I can't go on this plane. I can't do seven hours. I'm going to be sick. I need to have some fluids. I'm, I'm in too much pain. So, Ken spoke to one of the members of staff, it was, I think it was uh, KLM or something we flew in. and Ken spoke okay. to him half in the minute, he said they would put they asked, Could we get painkillers, they, they point blank let me, refu- refuse me to go on the plane. So they went, you're gonna have to stay here. <laughs> so we yeah. ended up spending the night in Cleveland at uh, New York airport, and they said, right, we've got you complimentary um, complimentary room in the 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 Ramada, uh, so they gave us these slips it was like food and a, a free night at the, the, the hotel and everything so we had to wait for two hours for this uh, bus There was a specialist bus that had wheelchair access to get me to the ramada and then we waited I think two or two and a half hours in the piss and rain and I didn't have a wheelchair anymore I had a wheelchair, hospital uh, airport wheelchair and we propped our bags under it to help keep my legs up because these wheelchairs didn't have any leg support so I was lying there Mortal agony with my wounds, weeping and everything. It was really, really uncomfortable. So, hell. This, so this bus showed up and it got halfway up the disabled ramp and it broke because of the weight of me and it broke down. So they, could, <laughs> up, they, couldn't, get it, they couldn't get it up to get me in the bus and they couldn't get it back down to get me in the floor. And they had to get some specialist to it because the track, the hydraulic jack failed in it. And I'm Wait, just please. sitting and I'm sitting in a wheelchair and the pissing rain at like two o'clock in the morning. Uh, waiting for this thing. And then we managed to get to the, the, the Ramada Hotel. We went into the Ramada Hotel, handed over the slips, and they went, oh, you've got the wrong hotel. It's the Radisson. You're supposed to be in. So then we oh. went to wait for the guy to come back with the disabled bus again and then take us another fl- 30 minutes to wait to the Ramad, the Radisson. So I got to the Radisson and then Ken went, right, I'm going to go get you these painkillers. So Ken jumped in a taxi, tried to get downtown New York to try and get the prescription, but they wouldn't give him it because it was an out-of-state prescription so I had no painkillers the most horrendous part of my journey and then the next day I had to wait in the airport until they told us that they would be comfortable with me flying so I managed to get on the plane uh, and they gave me the three seats which was really nice of them they gave me the three seats so I lay across the three seats and uh, again so uncomfortable because the armrests and I was twisted and contorted and I'm really big big uh-huh. big guy and uh, I managed to get him um, i managed to tolerate seven and a half hours home so i managed to get home and i finally got home to my own house and i hadn't i hadn't done a poo and i'm sorry to overshare <laughs> but i hadn't done a poo and in. Days because i was like i am not shitting and letting someone wipe my ass i was like i'm <laughs> so, I die before i'm that that disabled so i managed to get home and i hadn't done a poo in like i think it was over a week or something by the time the, the, the operation the time we got home and i was the most happiest person in the world i could do a poo in my own do a poo
0: in my own toilet. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I just, I'm sorry, but I just thinking the size of you, the height of you, the fact you'd not done a shit in that many days. That episode uh, is still game with Ennis with a giant shit in the yeah, toilet. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I had to get So, so I got home. Yeah, I got home. I was glad to be home, and then, and then at this stage, it was a recovery process. The first thing i done was we moved my bed downstairs. I was staying in a city centre flat. I'd moved into the city centre because my my partner at the time, my, my, my daughter's mother, or my former wife, uh, she was doing her PhD and she was finishing her PhD. So we moved into the city centre so she would easier access to university. So I was staying in this duplex, beautiful duplex apartment in Glasgow and I couldn't get upstairs because of the stairs. So we just moved my bed downstairs and I was I basically lived in the living room. So at this stage, I actually got some people to give me some, I uh, oh, don't really change my body. I about it, so I got some people give me a some dumbbells and stuff, and I was like, "Oh, I can maybe do a wee bit of dumbbells, you know, get my fix." And uh, I remember one time I done my dum- I done like ten curls of dumbbells in my on the edge of my bed, and uh, I slept for about seven hours. It was just the sheer trauma I actually doing some exercise because there's so much of the morphine on me, uh, just knocked me out. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And then, so what, all I did was I learned so much about the knee joint. I became an expert in the knee. Uh, I, I was on websites, kneegeeks.com, and all sorts of human anatomy stuff. And then I started researching what I could do to help speed up the process of my recovery. So the first thing I'd done was I'd done, uh, I'd done some really light physiotherapy in my knee. I would get into my bath, take my leg. My, so my legs were in braces, they weren't in casts, okay. they were in braces that could be removed. And I was just massaging the bruising out my quads and stuff. And then uh, I started, I, I, got, I got my staples taken out in the Western infirmary about five, four five weeks later. I had 88 eight staples door had, had scabbed oh. and sneaked and over them. So I had 88 eight staples to get taken out of my legs and that was just the nicest day ever. <laughs> it was like, ah! <sighs> uh,
0: so you had no pins or anything like that? It was just, it literally went in, operated, and it was no, just no, stitches?
1: No, 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 my legs are, my legs are, my knees are like completely made of metal now. They, they used a technique. I was going to get to that point. They used a technique that is totally unheard of of Britain, and they gave me my MRI scans and they gave me all my medical records on disk, so when I got home, I could give it to right. someone, a consultant over here. And then when I gave it to the consultants in Scotland, they were like, "We have no fucking idea. What Whoa. this? Is. I never saw this methodology before. It was called a a, a stitcher implants, uh, compressed wire, something shit. So it was just completely different to." The way the way the operation would have been done in in, in Britain, so I start uh, so I started doing physiotherapy, uh, in the lower leg, lower limbs group in the Western Infirmary. And I was doing that three times a week with this fabulously beautiful woman called Jenny Barclay, who would become my uh, Florence Nightingale. She would she would look after nice. me, and and, uh, and and she was just an amazing, incredible person. At the end of her physio- physiotherapy, she was like eight months pregnant. Uh, and she didn't want to take uh, pregnancy leave until I had been discharged and I remember we were doing British Bulldogs like I was trying to run past her working on my reflex and stuff And uh, while she was eight months pregnant and god bless her that was pure dedication I think it was a bit more exciting a patient than just some old woman that had So I was in this group with all these lower limb group, and I was getting in and doing like re step ups and rebox box step and doing me stuff with bands and shit, and just trying to build my strength up, my confidence in my legs. And then, but after a week or so, they went, "We can't, we can't do this. We, you're too heavy. We need to do hydrotherapy." So I had to do actually a few months where I was doing it in the pool because I was too big, I was too heavy for my legs, Ooh. and I had already dropped three stone in weight, uh, but like you're still too heavy. So, so I done hydrotherapy. So I done, um, so I switched back with Jenny to physiotherapy uh, and we got better and better and better and roundabout this obviously the injury was in March. I think it was in November I fucked off. Uh, I've swore so much. I'm sorry, I'm so, so oh so, no, hey, we put this uh, as explicit uh, in November, anyway. <laughs> in November November I, I I I pissed off and I I I'd, I'd done a competition on the fly, right? So at what? this point so, so come November, uh <clears throat> come November I was I was just about they would let me drive again uh obviously i could i could never go back to doing the doors uh because the first time it kicked off anybody because it was it was well documented what had happened to me it became quite uh, quite quite common knowledge uh it was in the national papers actually uh that if, if it kicked off in the doors anybody first thing i gotta do was to go for my knees so, so it was i was never going i didn't want to go back to the doors anyway i just turned 30. i felt my door days were over and and because i had more time i stopped doing the doors i had to make my business work because I needed the income, so I actually put more work into better bodies, and I actually became a better, a better business model uh, because of it. And obviously, I wasn't just twenty-four-seven obsessed with strongman anymore. So my priorities, my my focus, w- w- was 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 put into much better, much better quality uh, places. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I was doing physical therapy with Jenny, and uh, I'd be back training about stuff in the gym. And, and, and I, I decided that I wanted to do a, a powerlifting comp, and uh, I popped off to Wales and I done a comp called the British Record Breakers, and uh, I benched two hundred and fifty kilo and I deadlifted three hundred and twenty kilo. What? And uh, yeah, and, uh, and uh, I came back and I was I was I was in in the Monday in Low legs group and I was a bit tender from the competition and she's like, "Are oh, you okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, I overdone it a bit." on Friday didn't want to tell her that. I had sneaked into down to Wales and, and pulled £700. So uh, so then someone messaged me and said, listen, the, the Sunday Mail want to do a story on it. And uh, the Sunday Mail came into the, the physiotherapy and I uh, had to confess to the, the two girls, Jenny Barkley and Jenny Smith, that I'd been, I'd been powerlifting. I had, troph- I had my trophies and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I kind of won the British record breakers and Sunday. the Sunday Mail want to come and do a story. Is that okay if I get a picture with you? So, like, yeah, okay, no wonder you were a bit tender this <laughs> week. So, uh, so, yeah, so I, I won the British Record Breakers in November. So, I went from literally a wheelchair to pulling 700 pounds in March to November. Uh, now, a lot of people ask how I done that. Uh, and it, it was a combination of a few things, right? This is probably the most important part of the, 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 um, the podcast. Uh, stupidity uh, was was a big thing. I was I was too stupid to believe that I couldn't do it, and uh, I almost became fearless because of that. Another thing was I wanted to prove the physio, the the surgeon wrong when he says my 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 lifting days were over. Yeah. I never said it at the time to him, but the minute he said off I'm I'll, I'll fucking show you right. So that's mm-hmm. just me. That's just me and a bat. I I I, I put. So much love and dedication and effort into my physiotherapy, my rehab, I followed everything to the letter. I was on an exercise bike every night, just cycling with no tension to get the knees back. Uh, I I researched so much, I took all sorts of, uh, I took some uh, drugs, uh, not anabolic steroids, I took stuff to help the recovery of human growth hormone a uh, thing called IGF one, LR3, insulin like growth factor and stuff. I took like super drugs that uh that helped my recovery and sped up my recovery significantly. But I don't think they were a massive uh, I don't think they were the only reason, but they did help, but obviously them alone wouldn't have done it without the dedication uh and 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 the structure and planning of my physio my, my physiotherapy and my recovery. So I went um After I won the British Record Breakers in November, uh, I done my first full powerlifting comp in uh, Scotland. And I started squatting because the first comp I'd done there was no squat. If you know squat, squat's the one that's really dangerous on your knees. So I did my first ever squat competition. And I remember I was training for it. I was a couple of weeks out for the first ever full power comp. And uh, I went down with a squat and my training partners, God bless them, were all amazing people and still good friends to this day. I went down with a squat, about 220 kilo. Uh, and I went ah fuck and they all grabbed me grabbed the bar put me on the floor started giving me the kiss of life and everything else thought I'd hurt my my legs hurt my knee and they were all shitting it and panicking and everything and then it turned out that I'd actually I'd pulled my boxer shorts up too high and (laughs) I I put my belt on and my belt had caught the back of my boxer shorts and down into the hole I ripped the arse of my boxer shorts and I went ah fuck but they all fought hurt my knees again so when they realized that i hadn't hurt my knees i just ripped my boxer shots they went for giving me the kiss of life on the floor to just kicking the shit out of me so So i went uh so and and a weird twist of fate i went back to the world powerlifting championships in 2001 and uh i ended up in the same airport i was the world championships was in uh, palm beach and uh in uh, florida uh so this would have been i injured my knees and 2010 in march 2010 and it was now april no september 2011 so it was 18 months i'd went wow. from up to back competing at the world powerlifting championships and uh, i remember it was really it was a really stressful thing i actually got injured two weeks before the comp i tore my hamstring not pretty bad and i was like oh she's just fucking you Know, I trained so hard for it, I was just so desperate to go back to America
0: mm-hmm. and
1: prove everybody that said I couldn't wrong. So, I remember flying, I had to connect to the same airport in uh, Newark, and I was remember walking through the airport saying 18 months ago you were sitting over there in your wheelchair, not yeah. sure if you were going to get home. So, I got to, I got to Palm Beach and uh, I, I, I had a, an incredible competition, and I managed to win. Uh, the world championships and it was really good because my my the go the greatest of all time in powerlifting a gentleman called Ed Cohn who if you know he's like if you know powerlifting he's he's pe- he's like the football pelly or boxing right. Muhammad Eddie Cohn's a god. Eddie Cohn came up to me before uh, I was gonna lift and he says I heard all about your injury. Uh I've got your back today if you need anything. So he looked after me oh. and it, I felt uh super energized because the greatest of all time was generally if you're a powerlifter and Eddie Cohen's watching you you know you, you, you try a bit harder mm-hmm. so I managed so I managed to win the, the world powerlifting championships in Palm Beach in 2011 and uh, since then uh, I've won seven world titles uh, I won in London in 2012 and i won in Czech Republic I've won in Hungary I've won in Slovakia but still to this day people still come up to me and go how's your knees, how's your knees Sorry. Andy? And I'm like, they're fine. I've just squatted 400 kilos. I've got the biggest ever squat by a Scotsman. My knees are fine. Will you stop fucking asking me? <laughs> I it? a, a total jinx, you know, I don't, I don't walk up to you just before a bit of sexual immishes and go, how's your erection problem? <laughs> you know? uh, so, so yeah, so it was, I mean, that's a, that's a, a short version, but I went from literally being in, in Columbus, Ohio, Lying in a in a hospital bed, not knowing how I was going to get home, not knowing if I was ever going to... I didn't know how I was going to get home, I didn't know how I was going to pay for my medical bills, I didn't know how I was going to uh, be able to earn a living, because my dorming days were now over. Yeah. I didn't know if my partner was going to stay with me, if she would su- support me and stay with me in a wheelchair. I, I obviously at the point she was at the final stages of uni and she didn't, she didn't need to be looking after a disabled person uh so i i went from like literally totally despair of uh, of not knowing where my life was going to be in march of 2010 to september 2011 in the same country going home with uh, a world title so it was, amazing, it was an amazing 18 months and i i was lucky uh i was lucky that my knees were my knees were repaired in america because I, i've known a few people that i had a similar injury. A gentleman called Richard Smith, who was Wales' strongest man done practically, like for like, the same injuries as me. And he got his knees done in the NHS, and God bless the NHS, it's just certainly not the time to say anything detrimental about the NHS, not under mm-hmm. current circumstances. But he never recovered, never lifted again. Uh, oh, yeah. So, again, I feel a bit jinxed that, uh, what happened to me i felt i felt bad at the time but in retrospect i look back and i go you know what It was the best thing ever happened to me Mm -hmm. because my priorities were all wrong uh i was obsessed with strongman i was putting no effort into my relationship no effort into my 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 business no effort into anything at all whatsoever other than strongman and then i went from that to switching sports to powerlifting because it was a safer option i then realized that i was i was a decent strongman but I call it the Happy Gilmore effect. And Have you ever seen the movie Happy Gilmore? Yeah, yeah. Adam Sandler, Maybe he wants to be an ice hockey player, but he, yes. sh- he can't skate for shit. And mm-hmm. then he turns out he's an amazing golfer. Well, <laughs> I like to say that I was the, the Happy Gilmore of strength sports, where I was I was a decent strongman, but the injury forced me to focus on powerlifting, and I went from being a decent strongman to a seven-times world champion in powerlifting. And then, as I say, I, sp- I switched my focus back uh, I got out the doors, I got away from the doors, which which was a good thing because no one wants to get called a fat baldy bastard for the rest of their life and no on. No, I don't uh, want it. It's fun at first, but you know, it gets a bit boring. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I focused on my business and my business grew and then I had another shop and then a gym and, and, and now I'm in a f- position where I'm, f- I'm financially comfortable. Uh, so yeah, so a lot of people are like, oh, it's terrible what happened, but every cloud has a silver lining, Chris, you know?
0: Hundred percent. You're you're taking you're taking a a, a bad situation, a negative situation. You've just flipped it into an absolute positive. It's very yeah. very inspiring. It's it's an amazing amazing thing. Like the fact that like, I, I love the fact that you got to go back to like America and just yeah.
1: Prove I just felt I just felt it was it was a bit a bit appropriate and all that a poetic, fitting as, as such that I went back to the, the same country and 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 won my first world title. So. So, yeah, it was um, an, an amazing period of my life. I know it was 10 years ago, but as I say, I've never really spoke about it. I've I've put pictures up and
0: uh-huh.
1: mentioned it, but a lot of people don't know that I was stuck halfway up a disabled bus ramp uh, on my way to the wrong hotel. Uh, uh, and people don't know about holding my poo in for a week and people don't <laughs> know about my mum calling me when I was out my train, morphine, and giving me the fear of my life. So I just thought... A lot of people I felt would like to hear more about the process from being on the the being on my knees at the Arnold Classic, try to, being on the floor, trying to find my knees to being number one on the podium
0: in eighteen months. I think it's absolutely amazing. I, I love the fact that I got the chance to talk to you because it's like I, I think it's I don't even think I know it's it's just really inspiring. The fact you've even get me proper thinking about everything because when you say everything happens for a reason and that's the thing like obviously i'm not strong man, powerlifting both of his own gyms but it was like i, I ran tough murder and a couple of weeks later I, I, well, within that year they found that i had bowel cancer and then the then i went back to tough murder with the biggest scottish team to prove that nothing was going to stop me that like i was going to run it again and, I was nobody going so I just thought your story was absolutely brilliant. It just it brought a smile to my face because I was like, "I love yeah, that." Yeah.
1: So as I say, we're, we're cut from the same cloth, sir. You're cut from the same cloth. We've got a, both get the same occupation. We're both had, uh obstacles thrown in our way that we've we've overcame and conquered in our own personal way. So, I, I, I suppose in many ways, this story is is far more fitting to be in your podcast than anybody else's.
0: It was just when you were sitting telling it, I'm like, this is just absolutely amazing. And I, See, with your whole journey, like going there and getting to there, I mean, did, did you have to fund that all yourself to get to the Arnold Classic, you doing that? Yeah, I, I mean, there was prize money in the sport, but it wasn't it wasn't
1: that great. Uh, but to get to actually get to the Arnold Classic, and I, and I must emphasise, I was I skint was at the time. I, I was mm-hmm. There was times where I would do, I, I remember i have done Scotland's Strongest Man one year and I got second to a, a gentleman called Christopher Innes Goose, who's a, an amazing guy and was like my main rival uh-huh. at the time. And, and God bless him. And I remember like, they all went out and get pushed the night in Fort William. And they're like, are you coming out tonight? We're all getting blutted That's celebration. And I was like, I can't. I need to drive back to Glasgow. I've got to work on the Dora bunker. Because I literally couldn't afford to take the shift off. And I remember standing in the Dora bunker. And the glue that we put on our arms to lift the stones, it's called tacky glue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember that I still had that on my arms and I was I had my security jacket on with the glue all inside <laughs> it. Because I literally couldn't afford to take a 60 quid shift off. That's how poor I was, you know. I, 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 I mean I wasn't poor, poor, but I, I was I had a roof over my head and I had food. But it's just because the, the door it was so lazy the, the doorman work. Made it easy for me to train, and I just get into this really comfortable rut where I was like, if I do a couple of nights in the door, it's I stand there and do fuck all, so it's, I'm no digging ditches. I can sleep to as long as I want and go train. So I just get into this really comfortable rut, and and it wasn't till, uh it wasn't till my sponsor said, why don't you want to shop in Glasgow? And then the fact that my knee my knees uh, blew off that I went right, I can't do door work anymore. I need to make this business work, and I put so much more effort in with my business partner. And we opened a second shop and then I went on and I started buying properties and then I, I opened opened my gym and stuff. So I, I would be interested, I'm sure you'd be the same mm-hmm. with the bowel cancer. I'd be interested to see what happened if my knees never went. Because I genuinely believe that, I think it was the gods were just saying, look, big man, your priorities are a shambles right now. Yes. get your shit together. And uh, so I've got no regrets in the slightest. Uh, well, sometimes when I get down on my hands and knees to find stuff under the couch, <laughs> my, uh, my knees—I've made a metal so when I lean on my knees, it can be quite uncomfortable. So <laughs> uh, that's the only time I've got me. <laughs> no, it's uh,
0: it's brilliant. It's it's a great. It's it's a yeah. Well, put it this way: your autobiography will be an absolute belter when it comes out. This is what yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. I've got some some interesting st- chapters and in that, yeah. But no, thank you very
0: much. No, thank you so much, Andy, for sharing your story. And thank you. And it's it totally inspired me and I'm sure it's going to inspire many others. It just that nothing nothing should stop you from chasing chasing your dreams. And you've certainly proved that. So thank That's you it. so much, mate. And um, aye, it's an absolute honor to have you on.
1: Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure chatting to you for Thank the you, part mate. Of
0: you. <laughs> Cheers, mate. <laughs>